0: Happy uh, third day of the 12 days of Christmas. Um, Christmas is actually 12 days. It didn't end on the 25th. The church has historically celebrated the Christmas tie, which is 12 days of Christmas. And so kids, man, your parents, they've really been jipping you guys. You should be getting gifts every single morning for 12 days. Anybody want to fight? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, man, it's good to see kids in here as well. Uh, we do this... Um, Really, um, about once a year, we'll have um, a family. Uh, all of our congregations will typically have a, just a family worship service where we invite kids into the room. I absolutely love it because kids are the coolest. So if you're a kid in the room, I just want you to, um, I, I'm going to count to three, and you're just going to say Merry Christmas as loud as you can, especially in the back row, Emerson kids. I see you, I know you, I know where you live. All right, so on the count of three, little kids. As a matter of fact, little kids, why don't you just, you guys stand up. All the little ones, stand up. You can get crazy loud. And we're gonna say Merry Christmas because we're still in Christmas, okay? So on the count of three, you ready? One, two, three. Merry Christmas. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I heard you back there. Oh. Okay, good. She snuck it in. All right, man. Okay, well, 12 days of Christmas, and um, what that means is on the church calendar, we literally do celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Christ. Incarnation means word becoming flesh, or actually the term means becoming flesh, but the incarnation is about God who became flesh. God actually became a man, fully man, totally man, tempted in every way, yet without sin, So he experienced all the pain. The Bible says he was acquainted with grief. This is God we're talking about now. I mean, this is not like, this is the one who made the heavens and the earth. This is God who never ever was was made. He just had always existed. That God who spoke light. I mean, just imagine what the world would be in total darkness. God invents light, speaks light into existence. The Bible says that God um, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That God became a man with blood and veins and muscles and bones that could break. He was a breakable human being. That's the incarnation. We celebrate that for 12 days because it is the miracle of miracles. You understand? There's there's nothing like that in the history of humanity. Look at other gods. If you were here at our Christmas Eve services, you'd have heard me say this. Look at other gods, or lowercase gods, where, you know, Buddha, who is a a god of a world religion, and, and Buddha's, the look on Buddha's face, no matter what kind of chaos is surrounding him or what kind of turmoil, I've been to Thailand, man, I've seen this, like, just crazy turmoil, poverty all around, and there's Buddha just looking up to the sky, not looking at people, totally aloof in this peaceful, transcendental state disconnected from the reality of humans Hinduism's the same way there's this place of achievement of all of their gods a myriad of gods in hinduism this place of achievement is a place called nirvana which if you live a certain way and get all the distractions out of your life essentially just get out of the reality of the world you will achieve a perfect peaceful state nirvana which separates you from the reality of all humanity. And then there's a picture of Jesus who is on a cross, broken and beaten, pierced side, bloody, his back thrashed for you. That's a God I wanna follow. That's God, not disconnected, word becoming flesh. There's 12 days of Christmas because this is profound on every level. And this is the third day. And typically, at the end of the 12 days of Christmas, is a day known as Epiphany. And in Epiphany, they will celebrate or they'll teach about um, the wise men, or actually, what they were called is Magi. You might have heard of them in the Christmas story. They show up in nativity scenes all over the place. And uh, it's just interesting that in Luke's gospel, you've got this incredibly detailed story of. Jesus being born, all the things surrounding his birth, how he was born, even the type of shepherds that were needed, how the angels appeared to them. So many details in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, there's really one story about the birth of Jesus. It involves these three wise men, except there wasn't three. We think they were wise. They were known as magi. Magi were um, these men from Persia. And they would have been really well known. They had a lot of authority in Persia. Persia was next door, but several miles away. Persia was also Babylon, the enemies of God's people. And these magi were known for their astronomy work. They were also known to be uh, priests, kind of prophets, pagan priests, pagan prophets, they they liked magic, so they kind of dabbled in the dark arts. Magi is actually where we get the word magic from. They were these magicians, and the kings loved them. Kings would ask them for their prophecies, a lot like some of the kings in the Old Testament would do even with God's people. Remember Saul asking for David to come and play to quiet the Evil spirits, quiet the voices. Well, kings would do that throughout this region. And the magi were the trusted ones. They were always probably dressed to the nines, looking at the stars. They interpreted it all. They were known. And God reveals himself to these pagan priests. Isn't that interesting? Even God goes into the enemy's camp. It's exactly how he came, actually. The Bible says that we were enemies of God before we were saved. God came into humanity, and he continues to do that. So we're gonna look at that today. As astronomers, <clears throat> these magi would have saw the star, and they would have followed it. Now why in the world would they follow a star? <laughs> that didn't make a lot of sense. Well, it had been prophesied by a pagan prophet Um, which is amazing that God even uses pagan prophets to accomplish his purposes. And the pagan prophet would have said something like this. Even though this pagan prophet was well-known, and he was also well-known to prophesy against Christianity, God used him to even prophesy the coming of the Savior. And he prophesied a coming baby who would be king out of the line of David, and he would be the scepter of Israel, And there would be a star that marked his way. And the star had great detail. It was a specific night, a specific star, and a specific time. Well, the magi, being priests and prophets, would have known this great prophecy. And that's how they see the star. Because they were studying the skies. And they see the star about the prophecy about the king who is the scepter of Israel. And so they set out. They ride into town. Into Jerusalem, the city of David, and they're asking about the king of the Jews. Imagine how they were dressed. Imagine what they looked like. They probably looked a little different. They go into the city of God's people who would have known their entire life about the prophecy of the Messiah. And then they have to ask God's people who, for some reason, hadn't just had massive parades and rejoicing. For some reason, hadn't abandoned the city of David to go and see the baby. For some reason, were just going about their business. Pagan priests asked the people of God, where is your God? Where is The king that had been prophesied, where is he born? What a crazy thing to think about. It lets us know something. God's people had inevitably become totally apathetic about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. He was born right under their nose. It took pagan priests to even jog their memory. Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Amazing that they even had to ask God's people where God was. The promised Messiah who they had waited for and longed for, for the entirety of creation, had been born, and they needed pagans to tell them. People of God would have known about the sun. And as a matter of fact, they would have looked forward to it their whole life. And here you have pagan priests jogging their memory. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine this type of scene. You have to remember something. When we preach on the Bible, when we read the Bible, these aren't just metaphorical stories. These are real people that had real things happen to him. and it really is recorded, and there was a real baby who was the real son of God born, and the Magi were real people, and the people of God were real people, and there really was a town called Jerusalem, and this is a real accounting of that story. So think about these three men, or however men, walking into town and having a conversation with people who were just going about their business, The promised Messiah had been born. I'm like imagining like someone who has a store, someone who's just working at a restaurant, someone who whatever, and the pagan priests come in and say, tell us where this baby has been born. And so they just tell him. They don't jump for joy. I mean, let's give them a break a little bit and just think like maybe... They just had forgotten. Maybe they knew that the Messiah was going to come, but nobody had told them yet. And so surely when they find out the Messiah had come and they follow the breadcrumbs that like, well, there are pagan priests that are coming to tell us about, maybe we should pay attention. Surely at that moment they should just perk up a little bit and say, oh my goodness, what? The baby was born, the Messiah, God came to earth, what? Not even that happened. people of God had lost their fear of God they had lost the joy and like the true understanding of who they were and their identity in him this shouldn't be unfamiliar how often do I and do you as the people of God how often do we forget about how crazy and amazing the incarnation is How much have we lost our fear of the Lord? How much have we lost our insight into the character and the person and the work of Jesus Christ? How apathetic have we gone to where Christmas is just a season and the incarnation is just another thing that we preach on around this time of year? The word of God becoming flesh is profound on every level. Apathy and forgetfulness are what happened to all of us. They're a byproduct of the fall. And if you don't know what I mean, it took me years to figure out what the fall meant. I'd go to church and be like, what do you mean the fall? Like September to November fall? The fall is what we talk about in church that happened when Adam and Eve both sinned. And at that time, humanity failed. That's when sin entered the world. You've heard the story of Eve eating the apple. Well, since then, the world has been cursed because sin entered in, and this wasn't the place for sin. And because of sin, death entered in. So there are all these things that are happening around us all the time that are terrible things. And because our theology is so crazy, we tend to think, why would a good God cause bad things to happen in the world? That's the question you ask anybody in the world. How could it, if God is so good, how could these bad things be happening? Here's the answer. Bad things happen in the world because of the curse, because of the fall. It was never meant to happen here. Death is actually the great tyrant of the world. We are seeing, this morning I talked to a nurse friend um, who just was giving me a little bit of an update on what's happening in the hospital here. We're seeing more death than most of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Without question, probably. Death is a byproduct of the fall. It is the great tyrant. Death was never meant to be here. Because of the fall, we have death, we have sin, and you and I, if you are a Christian, we have apathy and forgetfulness. We forget who God is. We grow apathetic toward him. Sacred things become common, holy things become mishandled. We've replaced and prioritized our comfort and our daily dealings to worshiping Jesus. We forget things like church matters, sitting under the word matters, prayer matters, gospel-centered community matters. Not just community, gospel-centered community. And what I mean is this. It's really easy because people give the impression of Savior. They give the impression of kingdom. But it never actually works out that way. As a church, if our community is not centered in and around the gospel of Jesus, then all of a sudden what we do is we start to replace holy things with idolatry like community. And listen, we love community here. We have community groups. Man, I I have several friends in town. I'm saying you should know people that know Jesus and you should know people that don't know Jesus. You should be involved in their life. But community can become an idol for us. It's not centered around the word of God. We choose people over God. But they aren't the Messiah. Jesus, his word, his presence has to be the fuel for our relationships with each other. What happened with the people of God is they stopped handling holy things well. they have forgotten who God was. they have forgotten who they were in turn. And so pagan priests come and say, where's the Messiah? And they're like, well, here's the prophecy. If you find him, let us know. They just, they were done with it. You have the Magi. You have the people of God who had grown apathetic. And then there's another story within this. There's a story of the king. King Herod. Herod was a terrible dude. Not a good king. Herod had overthrown the kings of that nation a few years back taken it by force. Herod was a pagan king. Herod was what most kings are. He was primarily concerned with his power, his authority, his notoriety, his reputation, and he was concerned with all that so much that he was also so concerned with how he was going to keep it from getting to other people. He didn't want anybody else to have his power and authority. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired them where the Christ was to be born. Man, imagine this scene. All of Jerusalem was troubled with the pagan king. How far are the people of God come? He assembled the chief priests. And the scribes, he said, where was the prophecy about your Messiah? Where was he supposed to be born? How amazing is it that pagan priests and a pagan king were more convinced that Jesus was the Messiah than his own people were? Herod had gained power by force. He had no moral compass, no humility, and was terrified of losing his power. Herod immediately consults the religious leaders of the people who ironically seem less convinced that the Messiah was born than the pagan king did. And he sends out the Magi to report back to him. In layman's terms, Herod is freaking out. He's freaking out. There's one they call king of the Jews been born. Can you imagine what's going through his anxious and nervous, power-hungry heart? His head at this point all he cared about was keeping his power so herod takes advantage he does what men who want power do he starts to freak out and manipulate he takes the magi and he says go and find the baby and report back to me he's already manipulated god's people herod in his darkness in his dark heart He doesn't want accountability. He wants authority. He doesn't want people to know about him. He doesn't want anybody to be next to his level, even close to close to his level. He wants to level all of his own. He wants autonomy. He wants to be the guy calling the shots. He doesn't want anybody to come and encroach on that. And he will do whatever it takes, even kill babies, to keep his power. Here's a terrible guy, terribly dark, The need for autonomy and power and control. The problem is this, friends, I have to be honest with you. Everyone here today has this in them. Every single one of you, and me included. We love the idea of making our own way in life. We love the idea of total autonomy. Nobody tells me what to do with my life. Nobody tells me no. I am the captain of my ship. Let me make God in my image so I can have my way because surely I know the plans I have for me, declares me. Plans to prosper me. Everybody else is out to get me. I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not going to give anybody any access into my real life. As soon as one person, as soon as I even suspect that one person lets me down a little bit, I am done with people. And I'm going to go to all those guys, including that preacher in that church, and I'm going to tell them, See there, you told me I should trust people, and I did, and they let me down. I'm going to prove my point, that I can be autonomous, not honest with anybody, make my own way, provide my own path in life. Nobody has to know about me, and I'll be just fine. We all have this in us. This is exactly what the enemy would whisper into us to be like. You remember the lie he told Eve in the garden? He told her, he said, Did he tell you not to eat of that tree? Surely he didn't. He just doesn't want you to know what he knows. When you eat of that, you'll be as God. And that is the story of humanity throughout. You can be God, you can make your way, you can make the straight path for yourself. You don't need anybody else. You have the power within yourself to be the light of the world. The whole world loves that message, eats it up. It's just not true. It's not real. You are created to need people, you are created to be vulnerable with people. And are they going to let you down? Yes. Trust them anyway. Trust them anyway. Have you grown afraid and untrue to yourself? Have you grown afraid and untrue to each other and also to Jesus just to save face? Have you hidden your true self from accountability? The irony is of autonomy is this. The more we continue to build our kingdom that we think is the best way, the more control we want over the other people in our lives. We become neurotic. Always fearful that somebody is out to get us or ruin our reputation, just like Herod. Trust is something that should be given and not because everybody's gonna be perfect to you because trust is a condition of your heart. A buddy of mine said to me recently, trust shouldn't have to be earned. Distrust should have to be earned. I love that. The more we can open our hands with the people around us, the better they will be and the healthier we will be. And ultimately, everyone who you know is in God's hands, one way or another, do your best to be good stewards of them, but don't play God with them or your seat in their life. People are gonna break your heart give them your heart anyway. People are gonna break your trust, trust them anyway because that's a condition of your heart, your heart. If not, we all inch closer towards Herod, being the captain of our own ship. God sits in direct opposition to the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Magi give us a glimpse into the story of God's people, all kind of wrapped in one. Eventually what they did was they went and found the baby, Jesus, and instead of reporting back to Herod, um, they fell down and worshiped him and gave them gifts. It's just like Jesus to reveal himself to some pagan priests so that they could go and tell another country about the Messiah. That's the goal all along. Jesus didn't come just so his people would know him. He came to spread the whole world with the gospel of grace. It's amazing what he's done. His people were apathetic. The Bible says that he became flesh and His own people didn't receive him. So, this is a simple sermon today, but you've got some things to think about. If you're a Christian in the room, how have you grown apathetic towards the incarnation? How have you grown apathetic towards the word becoming flesh? How have you grown apathetic towards Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the one acquainted with grief. How have you grown apathetic toward him? Christmas is the mark of how we live our life under the king of kings. We just give him our apathy. Say, Lord, help me. I know you're good. I know you're king. Help me today, stir up my heart. The other thing is, Where in your life have you just wanted so much control? Have you believed the lie that being honest with each other about where you're at and what you feel is in some way gonna keep you from being loved? Don't fight for power, don't fight for control. Fight for the king of kings. And when you find him, bow down and worship him. Give him everything that you have. Don't hang on to your seat of authority or reputation. Don't avoid honesty and transparency. Jesus blew our minds in the way he was born, the way he lived and died. He was humble, lowly of heart, acquainted with grief. Jesus is the example of true humanity. So let's follow him. Let's follow him. He's not like anything else. First off, he is actually God. Nothing else is. And second, he really is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. I want to invite you to stand up. If you're a Christian, if you trusted Jesus to save your soul, I want to invite you to take communion with us. Um, On the chair that you're sitting in, sorry, under the chair, there are these little communion packets. If you're a Christian in the room, please take one. There's a little really delicious wafer seasoned with olive oil and some salt and pepper and it's like a fancy bruschetta. I'm just kidding. I'll stop. It's no good at all. I apologize. <laughs> On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus um, he had a meal with his friends, and all of his friends were